I found in saying that something makes me nervous, I feel a little less nervous in doing it. So hopefully this will work. Um, yeah, it feels odd saying welcome to Dharma Punks uh, because I think of Dharma Punks as New York is not just myself, but all the people who come to the gatherings on a weekly basis and, uh, you know, who are just core members of the group. I see so many already on with us, you know, so, um, but from my little corner of the world, welcome to Dharma Punks. Uh, we're right now in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And yes, we are in the middle of a pandemic. No other way to put it, uh, just lay it out there, which is the truth. And uh, we're all right now surrounded by four significant uh, or at least here in New York, there are four, at least that I can count, uh, significant stressors that we're all coping with. Uh, the first is, of course, the virus itself, the, the COVID. Uh, so many of us uh, over 70 or those with compromised immune systems or with comorbidities such as diabetes, asthma, um, so many others. Uh, COPID, uh, COPD, you know, uh, even people who are younger and healthier, this uh, can be a really, take a severe toll. Um, so it's, of course, a real stressor for so many of us, even those of us who are younger, to know that there is this um, really uh, profoundly contagious and in many cases, very, very uh, destructive disease present. Second of all, we're all, uh, not all of us actually, some of us are dealing with significant economic uncertainty, uh, lost jobs, wages that leave us maybe without money to pay the rent or even knowing how we're going to provide basic needs, food, um, health insurance, medications, and so forth. Uh, this can create chronic stress, um, and uh, it can activate, of course, if we've had childhoods where there's been times of deprivation that can trigger a whole host of really painful memories of those periods. A third factor is um, uncertainty. Our brains are predicting machines. Um, our security is based on the ability to positively anticipate future outcomes. Um, the left hemisphere especially activates, secretes dopamine based on the sense that there's some uh, reliability or some future that we can predict. And when people feel that they're without agency or even when there's a, a significant degree of uncertainty knowing how this pandemic will play out and uh, what, how slowly things will eventually come back uh, online and what the new world will even look like can severely diminish our dopamine resources and leave us subject to depression, brain fog, a like, lack of motivation. 
Um, but the fourth and the most significant of the, um, I think, present stressors have to do with social distancing. Um, I grew up in New York in, as a child into my teen years in the 70s. And um, it was during a time when the city was bankrupt, the federal government had turned its back on us. So no, this is not anything new, folks. <laughs> I'm used to as a New Yorker, the federal government and the people in charge not in any way uh, doing anything for New York. That was my formative experiences. I was here during the crack and HIV epidemic in the 1980s. And during the 70s, besides the the bankruptcy and the lack of funds and they weren't picking up the garbage. The Bronx was being, uh, was essentially being diminished of buildings by greedy landlords who were burning them down. There was an enormous crime wave, both in the seventies and the eighties in the nineties. Of course, there was a continuation of the uh, drug epidemic. There was a lot of still gun violence. And then there was 9-11. And then after living through that, seeing that with my own eyes, which led to my complete change in my life from working to advertising to uh, training to become a Buddhist teacher, and uh, which I've done in the last, since the last 16 years continuously, um, and uh, various economic crashes. But during all of those events, we had the capability of connecting. People could bond together and could make meaning of the experience. I remember during the blackouts in the 70s and in the blackout in the aughts, there was, um, everybody came together and there was so much resilience that was developed by um, this ingrained innate quality of being a human being, which is we are programmed to herd, we're pack animals during times of uh, stress and challenge and uncertainty. But the cruelest thing for me of this Pandemic is the fact that so many of us have either been isolated uh, alone, or even if we are isolating with a family or isolating with a, in a couple, uh, we're not getting the access to the vital social connectivity that regulates our emotions, that activates, it stimulates the the anterior cingulate that allows us to uh, essentially upregulate serotonin, which is, uh, helps us from stress and anxiety and so forth, all of which I've been experiencing. It's been tough uh, putting together a talk because, uh, you know, you're, as a Buddhist teacher, I want to come across as, you know, someone that's soothing and, you know, uh, that's the the showman part, the the sort of uh, the social self part, but this has not been a particularly 
uh, easy time. I mean, my anxiety levels certainly have been higher. I've woken up in the middle of the night sweating and, you know, so uh, the lack of being connected with people in that close way, which provides that resilience, has not been there as much. So I can only assume that uh, each of us have been affected in our own way. I mean, of course, I have, my job is as a Buddhist um, pastor, teacher, to connect with people. And I've been trying to do that through much of my days to offer emotion, uh, you know, uh, support. Uh, and I have met a few people who say, oh, my life isn't that different. And I'm like, whoa, I can't imagine what your life was like <laughs> then because, I don't know, this feels awfully different to me. But most of the people I connect with, yeah, are either uh, struggling with one of those, uh, those stressors. So, um, the way that we respond to this is largely determined not by how, certainly not by how intelligent we are. It's not even really determined by um, uh, the amount of spiritual practice we have and all that. I mean, that's helpful, but the real key that determines how human beings respond to stress lies in the deepest regions of the autonomic nervous system, which can switch us unconsciously depending upon the cues around us, whether we feel safe, whether we feel endangered, or we feel our life is threatened. And there's three basic ways that human beings, or three different states, that we will uh, find ourselves in during times of stress. Uh, the first is uh, the oldest, uh, literally uh, hundreds of millions of years old, the reptilian brainstem, which uh, activates shutdown, immobilization, uh, dissociation, brain fog, sleep, depression, withdrawal. And um, it's just that I can't deal with this and it makes us essentially freeze. And um, eventually, uh, over the course of time with mammals, a, a secondary system came online, which is the sympathetic nervous system. That's not the, sh that's the exact opposite of shut down, freeze, immobilize, being, uh, you know, can't deal. That's a state of hypervigilance, fear, repetitious thoughts, survival instincts, fight or flight, a feeling of being overwhelmed and having to act, uh, insomnia, high levels of uh, cortisol, holding our breath, tight abdomens, uh, high blood pressure, and most commonly known if it, we stay stuck in it as uh, chronic stress. And unfortunately, chronic stress also takes a real toll on our immune system because cortisol is not very good for it. The highest state, which developed um, 
started developing only a few million years ago and reached and reached its fruition with uh, human beings and primates uh, and a few other species is the parasympathetic. That's what's known as the window of tolerance. That's when we can deal with stressors. That's when we can engage with others, when we can rest and digest our food where we still have our appetite, where we can empathize. And when people are in the activated, sympathetic, fight-flight state of overwhelm, they are only having one thought or two thoughts repeating over and over and over again in their minds. When people are in the window of tolerance, this very fragile but highest state of functioning, we can actually... Uh, we can actually entertain different thoughts and think through different options. We don't just have one um, approach. We don't just have, I'm, I'm in danger, I have to do something. We don't have that, I have to immediately act, or we don't have that shutdown and just sleepy fog out of it, not being able. We're in this place where we can, we feel encouraged to um, self-soothe and the breath is long and smooth and we have a normal appetite and, and all that. So if we're not in the window of tolerance, which lies between the hyper-vigilant, hyperactive fight-flight uh, survival state of the sympathetic nervous system, and, but above, the shutdown, freeze, ancient, dissociative state. Between those two, hyperactivity and shutdown, there's this window of tolerance. Um, and the window of tolerance is the vital place to function and stay in, especially during times of stress. When we, uh, one, we don't want to essentially emotionally uh, become unraveled by this experience where we want to be able to reach out and emotionally regulate ourselves and others in connection, where we want to be able to self-soothe, where we want to be able to um, think of different creative ways to try to not, I can't use the word embrace because that's far too optimistic, but at least uh, uh, engage with this experience. Um, if we don't learn how to stay or stay in the window of tolerance, uh, rest and digest, the heart rate below 72 beats per minute, the, the feeling that the stomach is relaxed, the, there's a sense of ease in the body, there's no tightness up in the shoulders where we can essentially uh, at times when we need to put aside thoughts, then we'll either shut down, sleep, numb out. Uh, some of us will decrease our attachment needs and fall back into really early strategies of avoidance. Many of us, on the other hand, will stay on edge. Their body will have too much energy. They'll feel unsafe and they'll, um, and will eventually, some people, 
depending upon uh, tr early traumas, depending upon attachment wounds, depending upon other uh, uh, comorbids in psychology, such as cluster B disorders, will wind up relying on short-term strategies to try to regulate their nervous system. Some will rely on alcohol, opiates, to inhibit their nervous system. Some will rely on food to upregulate dopamine and to fight anhedonia, this lack of motivation, this overwhelming sense of pessimism. Some will distract from their depression by using video games or Netflix binges. Some will turn to cocaine and amphetamines and obsessive shopping who have, and these are people who have difficulty tolerating low affect states. Some people will recreate the maladaptive coping strategies that help them to survive traumatic childhoods by hiding or seeking addiction, addictive dopamine boosts or by avoidance coping, essentially not talking about their distress or their emotions to other people. So the key is how do we stay in a, uh, a state of... Um, the window of tolerance. How do we maintain a uh, this very fragile, but maintain this state where we don't jump into hypervigilance and and mobilize and survival, or drop into I can't deal, I can't, I I just can't function, and I just want to just check out. So. I'm going to go over some tools and then we'll do some in our meditation too. Uh, that's generally the strategy for how I uh, do these talks. I talk about an issue and then I try to present a solution and then I try to lead the solution in the meditation. So for those who shut down, for those who have a tendency to dissociate, um, healthy dopamine stimulus uh, and also a stimulus of endorphins are readily available. Um, I've been doing, I don't have a tendency to shut down. I'm more of the anxious alert type, if you couldn't tell, more like the Larry David of Buddhism than the sort of uh, relaxed Swami. But uh, the intense cardio activity uh, of 20 minutes, um, jogging fast, doing one of those high intensity workouts on YouTube, which I try to do. Um, anything that develops full fast inhalations for about 15 to 20 minutes is a natural antidepressant. Um, it not only does it raises endorphins, which makes your body feel better, but it also raises dopamine, which also then triggers uh, essentially a state of heightened alertness, a state of more greater engagement, um, a sense of being able to concentrate, which many of us lose if we shut down. Foods that are rich in tyrosine. Tyrosine is the precursor of dopamine. And while you can, of course, get it at a pharmacy, um, foods that are rich in it are almonds, bananas, avocados, eggs, beans, 
fish. I'm running out of my memory for what uh, is a, provides tyrosine, but tyrosine is vital for um, feelings of motivation, concentration, and um, uh, I believe you can also get it at any natural health store. It's a very safely tolerated um, supplement. Uh, people who uh, have a tendency towards depression or shutdown also have a tendency to slouch or slump over. And there are studies that show that when we allow our body to get into this slumped posture, we're more likely to remember negative events and to predict negative outcomes. When people sit up and they energize their body, it activates regions that um, not only of the vagal nerve, but also that send messages up through the insula to uh, the right hemisphere that say that we're capable that, and we tend to remember times when we feel proud or capable. So just posture alone can be an important tool. Task positive routines for people who shut down uh, that allow them to feel creative and embodied and fully active. Uh, I have a couple of friends who are drummers or who you know make music that is really propulsive, and that's actually a really great tool to activate. Um, Kathy, my wife, who's making this all possible, uh, leads breathwork classes, and uh, breathwork—the first like thirty minutes with this very embodied three-part breath. <sighs> what you do and it has this capability of literally activating and then it's followed by some parasympathetic relaxing breaths at the end but it's a very very vital tool to help people who are zoning out as well as people who are anxious it's very useful for um, soothing tools for people who tend to get very anxious, activated, overwhelmed, um, who, tr who want to cope but just have this repetitive um, repeating thoughts and repeating impulses, to, all based on survival. Um, I do every other day when I'm not doing those high intensity workouts in my living room, I do uh, yoga or ki. Qigong, Qigong, I don't know how you pronounce it, but I do it. <laughs> uh, if, and the beautiful thing about YouTube is there's only about 700 million uh, free clips for not only high intensity workouts, but also for yoga routines and Qigong, Qigong exercises, both of which are very soothing, which allow us to be embodied, but be embodied in a safe way. Now, people who have a tendency to become hyper-regulated, oh, I mean, hyper-aroused, who become hyper-vigilant, over-stimulated, sometimes their bodies can feel too much. There's too much energy. It's there. There's too much tightness, and so those people will fare well externally sourcing uh, objects to focus attention to. So, for example, if we are in a hyper aroused state, uh, resourcing colors 
or putting up on the screen a you know a certain image that we can count or uh of course going outside if it's safe for us to go outside and take a walk um anything listening to sounds listening to serene music um ambient music trying to keep awareness then out and something that is present time oriented um, serene task positive events like cooking, gardening, drawing, singing. Um, some tools that downregulate us, placing a hand over the heart in the heart center uh, stimulates the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is what allows us to, um, to essentially go from hyperarousal back towards the window of tolerance. Placing a hand as well on the base of the skull because your, your vagus nerve runs down the back of your neck to the front of your throat. And then part of it runs down, it continues down to the belly through the chest, controlling your heart rate. And the other part goes up to your face. So a hand on the back of the neck and on the heart center. Uh, other people find cupping hands over the eyes and putting them over the forehead is very uh, relaxing. So um, those are tools. Um, some, uh, I of course have been into attachment theory for, <laughs> for almost 15 years. And uh, uh, one of the tools that uh, people who are anxious sometimes employ is act as if they're avoidant. And what does that mean? If you're anxious, act as if you're avoidant. Well, avoidant, people who are avoidant have a tendency to be able to uh, push down their emotions, to disconnect from the way they feel. And one of the ways they do that is they tell themselves things aren't that bad. And they actively look for sources of information that justify that things aren't that bad. Now, I'm not trying to turn you all into Trump, but some of the, uh, the if we are prone to hypervigilance, uh, to staying on edge, to being stressed out, then actively looking online for, you know, promising news, upbeat news, there's all these sources for that. Actively, trying to uh, balance into uh, this is not uh, as terrible as my brain is telling me. Sunlight for all people helps establish homeostasis. So even though for many of us who live in apartment buildings, especially in New York, it feels difficult to go outside, but having at least a half an hour of sunlight, if it's not raining and gray as it's been for the last few days in New York, is an enormous boost to the ability to maintain homeostasis. It also helps um, upregulate vitamin D3, which is uh, vital for the immune system and warding off uh, respiratory diseases. So that might pick up your ears. Um, nature. Unfortunately, in New York, that's uh, slim pickings. We got slim pickings for nature. Uh, but nature does help establish homeostasis, which is another fancy term for the window of tolerance. 
uh, lack of natural elements in our life creates discord. It's a mismatch that brings on stress. Whereas being or seeing some form of natural environment invites your parasympathetic nervous system response. So if you don't see nature, even as simple as keeping on your desktop an image that's just on of a soothing scene. Studies show that a scene with trees, water, animal and bird life, perhaps a trail that invitingly leads off into nature. But the more time we can go out and see an expanse of water or uh, an expanse of uh, trees is really beneficial. So the Buddha did offer us um, tools to um, help as well to regulate our nervous system, of course. Um, he offered tools to relax. Um, meditations such as concentration meditations, where we focus on one ongoing stimulus at, the t at a time, are very soothing. Those are what uh, develops um, uh, uh, tranquility, uh, serenity factors, um, and uh, concentration meditations can simply be. Uh, uh, oops, I have to hit mute all. Continue muting all. Uh, can be counting the breath, counting one on the in, two on the out breath, three on the in, four on the out breath. You reach five, and then you count back down. One, the odd numbers are always on the in-breath and the even numbers are always on the out-breath. That's a very simple tool. Or repeating a phrase, boo on the in-breath, in do on the out-breath. Um, reflections of metta. Metta is a wonderful practice and we'll do a little of it. Um, metta meditations, uh, wishing loving kindness to ourself to um, gratitude reflections on those who have been of benefit for us. Uh, those have been shown to stimulate the vagus nerve and allow us to rest and allow us to soothe our nervous systems. Many of us, though, will want to energize, will feel depleted, will feel shut down, will feel overwhelmed. And um, for those, I. I urge um, tools such as Sila Nusati, which is the Buddha's reflections on things that we've done that were virtuous, that have helped others. While we do this, we hold a firm, open chest. We activate, open up the chest, allow our shoulders to drop, creating a feeling of agency in the body. Reflections of um, people we've helped is one of the oldest Buddhist uh, daily reflections, and it not only builds up a sense of, of um, resilience, but it also builds up a sense that we still have agency today, that we still can make a difference. Human beings, again, we're hardwired as pack animals, and so um, that feeling that we still can play a vital role in people's life is so uh, valuable. Boundless space meditations of shunyata, while they are emptying meditations, they also tend to, on the other hand, if you follow some of the ancient 
uh, shunyata meditations that I've offered, um, where you visualize first being in a surrounded by people and then you remove the people and you visualize being surrounded by nature and then you remove the nature and you just feel yourself on the earth and then you remove the earth and you feel your mind expanding throughout limitless space and then your mind becomes so big that you feel that everything's happening inside of your awareness and these can be a very that's a very actually stimulating meditation before over time it becomes very relaxing finally a tool that i use all the time that i find extremely valuable in, in uh, stressful situations is the practice of deva nusati it's the tool that the buddha instructed practitioners to engage when they would go off into the forests uh, the jungles where there were many dangerous animals, where there was uh, literally bandits that might kill you just for the limited resources you had, where it was an exceedingly dangerous endeavor to uh, go out. And the practice that early practitioners would do would be they would summon the devas to them, which would be to visualize protective angelic sort of beings that have looked after them their entire lives or in many ways are the spirits of those apparently who lived really generous kind lives and to visualize these uh beings today um in uh clinical psych uh, there's a very similar practice to Devanusati, the ideal parent protocol by attachment theorists, where you visualize who would be the perfect parent for you at different times in your life. So those are some tools that have come to mind. And what I'd like to do is um, uh, now lead a meditation uh, where we use those tools. I forgot to mention that, um, yeah, I'll be trying to, on a, as much of a regular basis as I can, do these talks, and I'll always post about it on either, on both the Dharma Punks NYC website, uh, Dharma Punks with an X, and as well the Facebook uh, page for the Dharma Punks group, and also on my page. So, um, if you'd like, just check in with those and you'll know when the next talk will be. And um, for, you know, uh, just as an, just an invitation, um, many of you have lost significant income. Pretty much anybody who works in uh, live performance and who works in the restaurant industry, who works in so many other industries. So um, there's no uh, request for any donation or support. If you do feel like donating to keep us uh, Buddhist teachers going during this time and you haven't had a significant depletion of income and it's comfortable for you that the... Uh, Venmo is Dharma Punks with an X NYC, and uh, the or you can just go to the website for the PayPal Dharma Punks with an X NYC dot com, and that's it. That's my total 
request. I don't want to monetize this just like everybody else. We're all finding our way and how to uh, survive during these times. So enough said, let's meditate. Let's try to put some of these tools in practice. So closing the eyes and um, just trying to go into that upright position where we feel like uh, the body isn't inclined forward or back, that the head isn't slouching in front of the body. We want to put that little bit of effort just to keep the chin completely parallel to the ground. If you put any effort into your practice, it's really just that, keeping your head tilted in such a way that we're not, you know, zoning out that we're not about to lose contact with the body, fall asleep or get lost in thought. That little bit of effort can make a significant difference. And it's just up here, just in this head and just maybe tilting the body a little bit back more than we normally do, like uh, just to keep that uprightness, but then everything else is relaxed. And really the focus is on relaxing here not the effort part. You're just putting in the bare minimum of effort and then the rest is we're gonna just relax. And so um, we're gonna take a few breaths that I like to do just to um, soothe and to uh, uh, relax the body. Um, getting a message. Um, so first take a full in breath. And squinch the muscles in the face really tight. Make an ugly little face. You can see mine, so I can't see yours, so it's safe. And then as you breathe out, really relax the face. And what we're doing is we're uh, disengaging the, uh, the, the higher vagal mus uh, uh, nervous system that runs up through the face and when you, there's been so many studies that show that when your face is relaxed and your mouth isn't clenched and there's this sort of stretched, uh, the corners of the lips are, are not the mouth are uh, far apart. It actually cultivates a far greater degree of, um, it downregulates the, uh, the autonomic nervous system. Uh, when people, interestingly, in one test, when they hold a pencil in their mouth like this, they, they get tight. But when they hold a pencil in their mouth like this, they get relaxed. So, so we're just doing that, closing the eyes again, if you were looking at me. And then we're gonna take another full inhalation and we're going to lift the shoulders up really high, like we're trying to touch our ears. And then we're going to breathe out and drop the shoulders and keep the chest open. Again, stimulating the vagal nerve. Also, just activating, bringing energy, a sense of confidence in the body. And for our third inhalation, we're gonna breathe into the abdomen, just breathe into the belly and feel the belly expand. And that's the most, that's the crux of the vagal nerve, which engages the, 
parasympathetic and relaxes us. So you want to just expand it on the in-breath and release it on the out-breath. Long, smooth exhalations down-regulate. Strong inhalations into the chest activate. So if you're feeling tired, you breathe into your chest and you just let the out-breath go. But if you want to down-regulate yourself, you breathe into the belly, abdominal breathing, and then you just focus on the out-breath being so long and so smooth that it just keeps on going out and you're not pushing anything out and your breath just keeps going out. So we're going to sit for a few moments or a little while and just practicing with the breath, regulating ourselves, trying to stay in that good place, that window of tolerance. So just noting if your thoughts start firing, you want to down-regulate, focus on long exhalations and belly breathing. If you're feeling sleepy, you're checking out, you want to focus on inhalations. Every time your mind wanders off to a thought, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what minds do. They like to predict the future or go over, rehash the past. That's what our brains are, middle of, of our brains are set up to do. But each time you wander away, it's an opportunity to awaken Every time we 
detach from a thought and come back to the present time stimulus, that's a that's like a miniature awakening. It's like a form of the Buddha's awakening where he left the delusion of craving and living constantly in the future or the past and just came back. Right now we're all in this moment and time safe. Being safe. Right now, now more than ever, we've got nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to please. All of those issues that pulled us constantly outside of paying, taking care of ourselves and paying attention to our needs, paying attention to our bodies, all of those things are gone. There's nowhere to go now. There's nothing to do. There's no thing to follow or take care of in this moment at all. So we can let go of all that. Landing in this moment Returning to take care of our bodies, which have taken care of us all our lives. Right now, what does your body need? What does your body need to feel taken care of? Does it need us to relax something like the belly? Does it need a nice full breath or a long soothing out breath? Does it need us to adjust? Taking care of our host.
So at this time, I'd like to invite you to do some of the really early Buddhist reflections that I find also help keep us in that window of tolerance where we can cope with the stressors and challenges and opportunities where they might be so First, I'd like you to just visualize in your mind's eye, for some of us, it's that area where we will close our eyes behind the closed eyes or maybe the forehead, wherever you can visualize someplace you know really well, if you're a visual person. Visualize first someone that in some way you've cared for or showed up for or in any way expressed kindness towards have played a positive impact on some other being's life. And just visualize if you can that person. And while we do this uh, Put a hand to your heart center if you like. We want to stimulate the vagal nerve. Visualizing someone we've helped. If you can't visualize people very well, and many of us can, it's sometimes difficult for me to um, just say their name in your mind softly. Someone you've cared about shown up for, reached out to, someone who you've played some positive role. Take a nice full breath into that place where your hand is on your heart center, if you can, or just play a deep breath into your heart center while you repeat the name or the image of someone, maybe someone else, if two people or three people come to mind that you've shown, given your time to, shown care towards. And then Let's turn the reflection around and now bring to mind someone who's shown care, reached out, someone who's shown any kindness to you. Just think of a name, an image of someone
breathing into the heart center. And now visualize yourself Any image, perhaps an image of yourself as a child, time when things were overwhelming, maybe any other time that feels emotionally resonant. And as you hold the image, repeat the phrase, I love you, keep going. I love you, keep going. I love you, keep going. Or if that doesn't feel right for you, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. I love you, keep going. Now, just expand this air out to people that we know Just let any images or names that come to mind, people that we care about. And just send the thought, I love you, keep going. May you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be safe. Allowing this more feeling and words we're sending out, just this warmth in our heart center. It's this feeling of care, tender feeling of care, just sending it out, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. I love you, keep going. May you be safe happy and peaceful. And then expanding outwards beyond people we know and care about to those we don't know, the countless people we've never met. all around us with fears, desires, hopes, fragile existences, such as life. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be peaceful as much as we can I love you, keep going.
eventually trying to include all beings, people we don't like, animals, every species deserves love, care, to live. May all beings be happy, peaceful, safe. And lastly, you still have your hands on your heart center. It's good to keep it there. Just feel that warmth. And just visualize in your mind who would be the perfect protective spirit right now. It doesn't have to be an image, it just could be a feeling. The ideal spiritual companion. Perhaps someone who's lived no longer with us. Perhaps the spirit of someone who's lived long ago. Maybe even thousands of years ago, or anyone we've admired throughout history. Who would be an ideal protective spirit? What would it feel like to be in their presence? You don't have to, if it's difficult, just say the name of someone who, in your mind, who symbolizes or represents, I should say, care, attention, kindness. Well, I'm going to now um, shortly ring the little bell we have here, and uh, then I'm going to encourage you to open your eyes very slowly. If you can, look. Don't look first at the screen. Look at the uh, floor before you. And what we want to do is integrate our sight back into awareness in such a way that sight doesn't overwhelm and essentially take up all of the attentional resources so that you can still be aware of your body, your, how you're sitting and how you're breathing. So um, thank you for that. 
Thank you for your meditation. So now we have, um, we're going to go to the most, uh, for me, technically challenging part. And that's quite saying something, because for me, pretty much all of this is technically challenging. But we're ratcheting up to another level and encouraging you to ask questions. So there's two ways you can do it. The way I'd like to try, uh, if you'll indulge me, is have you raise hands, which apparently you can do by clicking on the three dots uh, in the more button on the top right hand corner, I think, of your image. I don't know, but that's what I seem to remember. And uh, if uh, I'm going to see if I can see anybody with, uh, I don't know, how, how to see where their hands are raised. All right. What we might have to do is we might have to. Hey, yep. Josh, Elisa on page two has her hand raised. Okay, Elisa. You want to come in here, Kathy? So you can, or is that? Elisa, where are you? Hi. Oh, there you go. Hey. Hi. Hi, great to see you. Oh, this is nice. I got in finally. I was, I was shut out before. <laughs> I was relinquished to Facebook. But anyway, thank you so much. Um, it was really, um, that was a really helpful meditation. I think what I'm sort of struggling with right now. So I'm in, I'm a nurse, um, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not in a clinical position. I haven't been in like a lot of years, um, but we're being called in this week um to do clinical work to work with patients to accept surge into our facility i work in the bronx at calvary wow. so i don't even know what kind of patients we're getting there uh, additionally my husband is an icu nurse um at downstate and i mean i have my set of anxieties and then he's got his own too and um you know, it's sort of like trying to manage both. I mean, I, I'm actually worried about him. He's sort of a shutter downer and I'm, I'm sort of maybe more like you, like I'll, I like to beat dead horses, mm -hmm. so, you know, but he, he's a shutter downer and it's really hard to know like what's going on. And I'll ask him like, you know, like, how was your day at job? How was your day at work? You know, which is like a, it's like a war zone. I mean, that's yeah. what he's describing. It's really, it's really that bad for anybody who wants to know. Um, I assume it would be like that, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I'm like worried for him about like even sort of like a PTSD. Like I hear him at night in his sleep and he's kind of having nightmares. And so that's really challenging. And then my own anxiety is about like getting thrown back into this kind of work, you know, and it's like I go from being angry to being like, what else can I do to sort of like, you know, being anxious to it's like I'm all over the place and I don't feel prepared for this. I'd rather stay home and have cabin fever any day. So <laughs> I, I, you know, um, the bravery and the courage of people who go in to ERs during a pandemic is, I, I mean, 
It's right up there with the firemen who rushed into, you know, the burning towers uh, during 9-11. And it's one of those things where it's so easy for me just to roll out, you know, all those answers that I normally do. But in such an extraordinary set of circumstances, I just want to first just mirror that I hear um, how concerning that this would be and how you have both your partner who's, you know, facing it and, and yourself. And just to acknowledge that this would be such a, I can't imagine, you know, what that would be like and how that would play out. Um, it's an enormous amount. And, you know, I don't know that there's any single tool that can, in the midst of uh, essentially this kind of a pandemic, uh, give an easy, you know, or even a reliable, at times, way to downregulate ourselves. If we're the first thing to do, I know from experience, from having had it, you know, I've had an anxiety disorder for most of my life, given a very violent childhood. And one thing that always works is first just acknowledging, okay, I'm anxious, or acknowledging, okay, I'm overwhelmed. And then the second is to pause and to stop whatever I'm doing and to just tell myself that, okay, I don't have to act right now. I don't have to, in this moment, I can take a moment and stop and I can just find a, things are making all these sounds, uh, uh, that I don't have to fix it or solve it. I try to, um, if there's a task that's skillful, that doesn't, that can disconnect me from repeating thoughts, any task um, that really engages my hands, task positive mode is very valuable in keeping us in the, um, the rest and state that's closer to the window of tolerance. Focusing on uh, safety cues, resourcing safety cues in our environment. So if you were in uh, an environment where there would be, a, you know, people who are really in pain, struggling, a lot of anxious doctors themselves, find even a window, find even something to resource at that time to, to essentially keep the mind. We won't be able to keep stressors out, but if we can engage and try to expand the window of awareness, that's very valuable. Um, in terms of co-regulating your partner, that's just a matter of listening and asking and not trying to solve, you know, and just acknowledging. As people who, you know, uh, we love our the people in our life and we want we don't want them to suffer and it can be so tempting of course to try to fix and solve and we all do that but the most generous thing to do is to to just create that 
container where they can talk and even say things that are scary for us and just listen and give them that space. Most of the traumas in our life happened during a time where there wasn't a safe person that we could turn to. Thank you so much, Elisa. I'm gonna just say, see Linda, unmute. Linda, you're on. It's so great to see you. I've never actually uh, had any direct interaction with you. Cool. Yeah, I've been listening to your Dharma talk probably since, I don't know, 2010 or 2011, along with a bunch of other people, but um, your speak to me on so many, a bunch of different levels, but you know, besides just having that punk rock background, I think it's so awesome. <laughs> it's not always awesome for it. not every old punk rocker. I think for myself too, I'm old, uh, whatever that means. Um, so yeah, anyway, some of them are a little bitter, maybe like they used to be. So um, yeah, anyway, um, I'm kind of babbling right now. Um, I guess one of the questions I have is. I'm finding myself on these, like I'm seeing some, a post from a cousin or something like that, that's of a political nature that I don't agree with. And in fact, just outright like wrong. And like, I'm trying to balance this. Like, I think my need for control or my desire for control is really up right now because so many circumstances, which they're always out of control, but for some reason I'm just wanting to, I'm having to pause a lot and not respond or react to my family members' posts. And I have responded a few times or reacted. I just try to be real neutral and just like pose back to what they're posting. And then I'm like, why am I even doing this? Like it's, I'm just trying not to engage that. I'm wondering if you have any advice for that. Thank you. Yes, I mean, of course, if you were in the same place with these people, then that calls for boundaries, which are, you know, if you keep talking about, you know, this, uh, if you keep quoting all these terrible statistics or these dire far right, you know, ideas or these, um, uh, you know, if you keep talking to me about, uh something that is deeply triggering or offensive or whatever then you say look if you keep on that topic i'm going to have to i'm going to have to uh get up and leave walk away get off the phone boundaries are essentially just a stating clearly that will not engage in a conversation on a certain topic but if they're posts or emails then generally the boundaries require us which means uh don't read literally don't read them literally don't look if you see it's from someone and the moment you see that it's not a vulnerable authentic connection that it's some kind of screed or some kind of vitriol that or some kind of you know, maybe even for many of us having a really dire, you know, the world is ending, you know, messages are not what we can handle. And we have to be able to just not read. And literally the boundaries start with us. Uh, 
And those are the most effective boundaries. Because if you try to say, stop sending me this, they won't. They won't. I mean, people who are triggered and who are activated and who want to essentially, through emotion contagion, affect others, they won't stop if you ask them to. And if you, they won't stop if you try to argue with them. They'll simply, the only way is to simply put it down, don't read it, move on. And if somebody says, why didn't you respond? Just, just say, I'm not going to read any of those. I'm not reading any political texts. I'm not reading anything like that. Thank you, Linda. So lovely to see you. Thank you. Okay. So hello, Bo Orit. Hey. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Yeah. Hanging in there. Thank you so much um, for a whole bunch of things. But um, found you through Refuge and, and Noah and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of fall on both sides of, uh, let's see, would I be a... Uh, hyper vigilant uh disassociative or disconnected at the same time you know what i mean so like it's, uh do i use those tools in an aggregate it seems like definitely that uh exercise physical activity and getting outdoors and those types of things work for both but like different parts of the day i'll feel like i'm more hyper vigilant and different parts of the day i'll feel like i'm more disassociative yeah, hyper uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, one, I should have said, and thank you for reminding me, all people will spend time in one or the other generally, but most of us have uh, a predilection to leave the window of tolerance and either go up into hyper arousal, hypo, hyper arousal or hypo arousal, shut down. And so um, we can only be in one of those at any given time. Um, certainly people who have what's known as uh, disorganized attachment or early trauma uh, PTSD um, have a tendency to erratically move between the two, which I'm not indicating you do. I'm just saying that there are, are people who have a tendency to fly uh, between those settings. And yeah. so, um, uh, the key is to know what's going on when it's happening and to address it there. So starting like, you'll know if you're in hyper arousal because you will not be able to entertain different thoughts. There'll mm -hmm. either be a repetitive thought running in your mind or there'll be this feeling in your body. Like I have to do something and I'm running out of time. And it's the feeling we get when we lose our keys, you yeah. know, and we have an appointment. Yeah. If you're in that state or anything approaching that state, then we, we go immediately into the, okay, stop, disengage from the task, focus on something else that is, you know, change the breath to long exhalations, you know, stop the busyness and start self-soothing. On the other hand, those times when we're shutting down, and we'll know those are because we'll be sedentary. We'll be 
there won't be any movement. There'll be this sense of heaviness, complete lack of concentration, complete lack of engagement with the world around us. And that's when we have to stand up, get back into that posture of, of you know, confidence, the full inhalations, the, you know, pulling back the shoulders, the doing a task that's fully engaging and embodied, the exercise or whatever it is to, to mobilize. So, and we, yes, we can jump between those two states, but we want to keep adjusting back towards that place uh, where we can stop, where we can sit, listen, communicate, think about different things we can do we can we feel relaxed we feel that our body is the breath is settling down to you know this like sort of state all right thank you very much josh i appreciate that of course thank you let's see hello hello melissa Hi there. Hi, Josh. Um, just thank you, first of all, to you and Kathy for making this happen tonight. Um, yeah. It couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, as I speak for probably many New Yorkers on this call. Um, so one, one of the things, so I live alone. I don't have a pet, <laughs> nothing to stroke and like sort of have that soothing experience other than my own back. Um, and, uh, and I'm definitely feeling the, uh, the experience of isolation, uh, but more so too, because I also just recently, um, I've been going through a breakup uh. And, uh, and that has just really like amplified and magnified that, that experience of, of isolation and loss. And um, so it's been hard. Well, at the same time, like, I also want to look at this moment in time as this real, like, opportunity for, like, one of the things that's happened so far is, like, I've been doing more of these group meditations that, you know, people are offering, like you guys did today, and thank you so much. Um, I'm finding that very helpful, but I'm also just kind of, my question essentially is, if I want to look at this as an opportunity for, for constructively becoming both um, better in my practice as a meditator or just even better in my practice as a human. Um, what might be some ways that you might advise that are sort of the low hanging fruit? Because I do know that like energetically uh, there are moments where I'm just really struggling. I don't want to like give myself too tall a task <laughs> that that's not achievable. Um, but something that, that, you know, just baby steps, baby steps right now. But, but I can build on those baby steps. Well, uh, one, I have to say that I can't, I, I have uh, as part of what I do as a, you know, is reaching out with people is uh, when I connect with people these days who right before this or during this have gone through breakups, I, it's got, it's just has to be the most painful time to process that I don't know exactly, of course, I can't completely f feel what you're feeling, but I, I just totally empathize. I can't tell you how much because um, to go through a disconnection um, at this point, which when we go through disconnections, there's this 
essentially withdrawal of our engagement from the world. And there's this feeling of just um, very often a lack of reward. There's a sense of heaviness and so much. And on top of it, to be processing all this in a time when there's so much isolation. I, I just want to first just say that um, I just, just, I just, so much empathy and just, um, um, uh, I would, you know, when you talked about doing a, a project, you talked about um, doing something better. And I think that's the first thing I'd throw away, mm. which is to me, you're already heroic and you're already amazing. And, uh, you're already doing something that's just to, you know, go through this experience. You don't have to be better at anything. You don't have to be, you're doing so much already. And uh, just to focus on right now, trying to keep yourself as uh, engaged with other people as possible, which means to ask and reach out to connect with people on you know, either FaceTime or Zoom, one-on-one. -on -one. Keep leaning into direct, uh, you know, mirroring interpersonal connections. Feel free to reach out to me. That's what, what, what I do. So feel free, I'll always find time for somebody who is going through a tough time like this, no matter what. Reach out, connect with people. Um, talk about what your feelings are if anything you wanted to develop that's stimulating of course something that you've wanted to learn um one thing i listen to is the talks of robert sapolsky he's this famous clinical psychologist at stanford he's got this amazing like beard and long hair he's kind of like this this hippie that's just genius and I just listen to him and I feel totally in awe of his wisdom. And um, I t I've taken courses during really difficult times. I'm going to take one uh, because there are so many courses are online right now. But um, and if there's something that you want to do that creates a pro-social feeling, you know, some people I know are are literally uh knitting masks for emergency workers or, you know not, i mean not knitting that would be weird they're like sewing masks and or they're doing things to help volunteer for people who work in emergency services um anything that look for anything that creates a sense of volunteer opportunities but i first most of all would encourage you to reach out to people and just talk on Facebook real time and just on, continue to talk about what you're feeling and don't keep it in. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, I'm going to look for one more and then I'm going to release you all from the burden of having to see where is. Oh, there you go. Hello. Hi. Hi, Dara Barr. Dara Barr. Hi, Dara. Yeah. I, Dara. Um, 
I was, I'm also going through a breakup. It's not fun. Um, I can imagine. Or I don't know if going through a breakup, I'm having the feelings after a breakup. Um, but so one of the things that was happening in the meditations around sort of envisioning people who I've cared for, who cared for me, there was a lot of like emotional tears coming up. And one of the things I know about crying is it clears cortisol. That's my dog in the background. It clears cortisol. And um, so I was just a little curious about the state of crying because on one hand, it seems like it's this like amplified state that... Um, you know, is not calm and tranquil, but that it's just, is something that in the clearing of cortisol then maybe brings one into that state. Um, and so, I don't know, I guess I was sort of wondering about resisting crying or I was sort of just leaning into it during the meditations, but um, I was just curious to hear like if the goal of a meditation is sort of to go into that sort of middle ground of parasympathetic yes uh, then if the action of the meditation is sort of bringing up emotional crying or whatever like is that taking you out of parasympathetic or if crying then is clearing cortisol from the sympathetic and bringing you back into parasympathetic then is that the same task i don't know i'm just curious yeah crying one is one of many ways to um to engage the parasympathetic. Um, it also, uh, there's many other ways though to clear stress as well. I mean, crying is a very healthy way. Grief is a necessary way to process the loss of an attachment figure, a partner. And without grief, we never can really emotionally move on because we, um, we literally don't have that. Uh, they're still present in our right brain. And so the right brain keeps looking for them, expecting them to be there. So the process of crying and grieving, um, Bowlby showed, is the way that the right brain, which is largely unconscious and is earlier formed and holds what we call, you know, some of us, the inner child. The only way it learns that uh, an attachment figure is no longer available to us is through grieving and through tears. So it forms an even bigger role than, I mean, you can reduce cortisol in many ways. Anything that raises GABA, you know, from green tea to, uh, to certain, you know, again, certain kinds of re relaxing breathing techniques of certain foods like fish are rich in GABA. There's many ways to down-regulate the amount of cortisol in the body, including meditation has been shown to upregulate GABA and down-regulate cortisol. But the tears of that follow a breakup or that that come even when we're doing other reflection meditations are so helpful for your right brain to adapt. To what's going on so it's very healthy and it's very appropriate and i hope you lean into that thank you that's helpful I'll remember that thank you so um it's nine i'm going to let you go um i just want to remind you that at eight o'clock in the mornings kathy does her morning meditation
and that's a really great resource. She's been doing it every Monday through Friday at eight o'clock. So please join her and um, a great thanks to her for helping me do this. And um, I'm going to obviously try to again to do this uh, next week sometime. So uh, I hope you'll join me again. Thank you.